Welcome to EPSN, and I'm your host, Emily Paulson, where we talk and debate all things sports for sports geeks like myself. I'm a student athlete at Western Washington University, shout out to all my softball teammates, and have been a sports lover all my life. I started this podcast as an outlet to share my thoughts on big news in the sports world. I will be joined by special guests along the way with a regular being my pops, who's on with me today. Howdy, folks. On today's episode, we will focus on football. We will start with a quick look at the top 25 and then break down the good, the bad, and the ugly of the Pac-12, including the firing of Clay Helen and what might be next for the Trojans. I will also discuss my biggest takeaways from week one of the NFL. So to start out with a quick look at the top 25, there was some pretty big movement in that Oregon went to the horseshoe of Ohio State and upset them. How about them ducks? Let's go ducks. For reference, we are huge Duck fans, so there is a little bit of bias. But the fact that Oregon went to Ohio State and upset them shows that the Pac-12 is not all that bad, especially since Oregon had two five-star defensive guys out with Kayvon Thibodeau and Justin Flo, which both had forced fumbles against Fresno State the previous week. I was so happy that I jumped up with excitement when I saw the Ducks won. Seeing it on TV was awesome, but my pops here actually got to go in person. Boy, and what an experience it was. Uh, Full shout out to the Buckeye fans for hosting us. They were quite the wonderful peeps. I will say it was a little awkward that everywhere we walked, everybody was saying, hey, good luck to you guys today. Had to have my buddy Hoover tell them, no good luck to you guys. Uh, It was also a great experience to be joined by multiple members of our club juvie Uh, this is probably our double digit road trip together and uh, it has to be at the top of the list as far as stadium experiences go seeing teams like ohio state and alabama lose like that it shows that anyone can lose on any day i will also say ohio state fans are not used to losing especially to a pac-12 team that we were oregon was 0-9 going into the game against them but uh, they sure like that O number in front of us. I'll say that. No longer, though. To move on to the good of the Pac-12, which, along with Oregon, there was some good in that Colorado put up a nice fight against Texas A&M. They ended up losing 10-7, to but it kept it in the ball game for them to reach a win. Yeah, another good showing by the Pac-12. Uh, I think it might say more about what the state of Texas A&M football is, but... Uh, big props to Colorado for going out there and uh, at least performing like the Pac-12 needs them to. Yeah. And then to move on to the bad of the Pac-12, even the ugly, is Utah losing to BYU. BYU has shown that they can win against a not top-ranked team necessarily, but a decent team from a Big Five conference. They lost 26-17, and BYU snapped a nine-game losing streak to the Utes. Yeah, yeah, I I have to tell you, I was quite impressed with BYU. Uh, After losing Zach Wilson to the NFL last year, being the number two pick, nobody had any idea what this program was going to be like coming into the year. And uh, the coach there, uh, who I believe was an old Pac-12 defensive coordinator for the Beavers, Kavani Satake? I don't know if that's pronounced correctly, but... Anyhow, he's doing quite a good job down there building the BYU brand, 
and uh, with them looking to move to the Big 12 here in a number of short years, maybe 2023, 20, 24, I think I saw, um, they're going to be right in a position to go in there and compete right away. With that, the Pac-12 even got uglier as Washington lost to Michigan and started 0-2 for the season. It's uh, the first time that the Huskies have started 0-2 since going 0-12 in 2008. Husky fans, where are you? What is going on with your program? I I cannot believe that the once mighty Huskies start out the year losing to Montana and then going to the big house and putting a big pile of bleep out there (laughs) in their performance. Uh, Very embarrassing for the Pac-12. Very embarrassing for Jimmy Lake and and the program there. Uh, I'd be very surprised if there's not some sort of firings going on for him to keep his job looking at new offensive coordinators. Not sure the Seattle folks are happy with the choice that they have there right now. I wouldn't be surprised to see a new coach who's not Jimmy Lake next year coaching the Huskies down the sideline. Keep in mind, too, that it's the first time that a ranked FBS team lost to an FCS team in five years. Another black eye for the Pac-12. Just absolutely brutal. And to move on to more ugly of the Pac-12, is USC losing to Stanford badly? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if that's a really good win for Stanford or if that's just a terrible loss for USC. You know, you see the game tape of that, and sure looks like USC just wasn't prepared to play. And uh, with that said, uh, it might not have been the airport tarmac, but Clay Helton was fired pretty much immediately after that performance. Yeah, with him being fired, I mean, they lost at home by 20 points to Stanford. At home in the Coliseum. And they were a double-digit point spread favorite yeah. on top of it. And let's be honest, Stanford was coming off a terrible-looking loss to Kansas State. Go Willie the Wildcat. Um, but, you know, for them to bounce back like that, I think it says a lot more about David Shaw and what he's done in the Stanford program over the years. And again, kind of the state of uh, affairs at USC and those five-star kids just not getting coached up enough. I feel like we've seen in the past, and David Shaw keeps showing us, that you can never underestimate the Cardinal. Agreed. Agreed. So, with Clay Helton being fired, Athletic Director Mike Bone announced that there needs to be a change in leadership, which is why Clay Helton was fired. He's been in the program since 2010, when hired as a quarterback coach under Lane Kiffin, and then was promoted to head coach in 2015 by then AD Pat Hayden. He held a 46-24 and 24 record as a head coach, which, in Trojan standards, is not good. Yeah, and I, I think the final nail in the coffin for him, we'll come back to using the Ducks, is Mario Cristobal going into the L.A. area and recruiting all those kids out of their backyard. Uh, and you see it. You see the Clemson quarterback, DJ Ugalele. You see C.J. Stroud, another Southern California kid that left and went to a big program. Uh, That just never happened in the past for USC. They were able to recruit on their name alone, uh, but those days have changed. Uh, And I think a guy like Cristobal, who's going in and pulling five-star after five-star, had a big part of this as well. Yeah, I mean, kids are just leaving. They don't even want to go to USC, partially because back in the day, they were the team in L.A. when 
Pete Carroll was there. Snoop Dogg went. It was a thing to do in L.A. because there was no other football teams. Now, with two L.A. NFL teams, USC is kind of on the back seat. Yeah, as far as in the entertainment uh, zone down there, USC is a far cry from what it used to be. And, Emily, you're absolutely right. Having the two NFL teams there now really draws, you know, which football game are you going to go to on the weekend? Is it going to be USC? Do I want to go downtown and, and fight that battle? Um, they got a lot to do. I, I think this next coaching hire for them is, is just huge. So it, it'll be really interesting to see. Do they go with a proven college coach? Do they go after trying to rekindle the Pete Carroll era by going and getting an NFL guy who can actually handle the L.A. market? But, you know, there's lots of names already being thrown out, and we'll see what happens. Do you, do you have anybody that you would like to see for the USC job? And, and again, being Duck fans, we would have preferred having Helton stay there, let's be honest. but Yeah, I would have liked Helton to stay there, but that doesn't happen. So I think the best bet for the USC job is probably Penn State coach James Franklin. He's entering his eighth season as head coach this year, has earned three New Year's Six Bowl bursts with two being wins, won the 2016 Big Ten Championship, so last team to win the Big Ten Championship besides Ohio State. And uh, earlier this week in a press conference, which I thought was very strange, um, a reporter asked him about the USC opening, and he said, as you guys know, I can't stand any form of distractions. So I'll discuss this today with the Leadership Council so we can make sure all of our energy is on preparation with Auburn, and that's how we'll handle it. Uh, what council? Like, who is he going to go talk to? Yeah, that is a very strange statement. It sure in the heck was not, no, I'm not interested. We'll need to wait till the end of the season, yada, yada, yada. But that might have been the strangest denial or, yes, I have interest comment that I've ever heard from a coach. It was the strangest way of saying maybe, Come in my opinion. Me. Yeah. Well, why wouldn't you just deny it? If I was a Penn State fan right now, I'd be like, is my coach leaving? Like, it doesn't make me feel any better. I know they just got the win against Auburn last night, but... It doesn't make me feel any better. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. I, I, I'm not sure Penn State fans appreciate Franklin enough. Uh, he has proven he's quite the winner. He's the only coach who won at Vanderbilt. Uh, and if you can win at Vanderbilt, you can take any program. You imagine him coaching five-star kids at USC then, if, if that was the case. The other thing I like about Franklin and you bringing him up, he's got charisma. USC needs a guy to go into Hollywood and run that program as a star attraction. Look at us. Look at Southern California. Come here. Why wouldn't you want it? So um, I think Franklin's a, a, a probably one of their top picks. I think another name has been thrown around out there is Luke Fickle, the Cincinnati coach, uh, especially with his past relationship with Bone. Uh, he was hired at Cincinnati by the USC AD, Mike Bone. So that's a natural one, and he is doing – things that Cincinnati hasn't seen before. They could potentially be the first group of five team to make the college football playoff. Well, yeah, he's elevated the Bearcats into a college football playoff contending team, ranked number eight, has led them to back-to-back 11-win seasons in 2018-2019. And last year, with a shortened year, they went 9-1 and and lost in a close battle against Georgia in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, which is another thing saying that the SEC does not kill everyone in its path. Yeah, uh, agreed. Um, lots of other names out there. You know, they're throwing around Mario Cristobal. Not going to happen. Never. Uh, I think another name that's been interesting is somebody who's not even coaching right now, and that's Chris Peterson, 
the old UW and Boise State coach. Uh, I believe he turned down the job uh, a few years back. So did USC really go pursue him again? I'm not sure. Another guy who's, I think, flying underneath the radar, but I've heard a little bit about, is Iowa State coach Matt Campbell. Still kind of on his up, but I think starting to plateau a little bit with Iowa, Iowa State. So I think right now he's at his prime where if he wants a bigger job, this is the time to go get it. He's a three-time Big 12 coach of the year and four straight bowl game appearances, going 9-3 and three last year, ending with a 34-17 to 17 Fiesta Bowl win against the Oregon Ducks. And uh, I think if he really wants to make the most bang for his buck, this is the time to go get the USC job. Yeah, but I don't believe he's ready. You know, he is a great coach. He's building that Iowa State program. Uh, but the USC job is a different beast. I mean, you are have to be a program uh, uh, front man. You can't be a builder. This is not a job you're going to go in and, and try to put back on the map from, from that perspective. You, you really need a guy who's going to be front and center and, and bring that Hollywood shine back to the program. And I, I just don't know if he's ready yet. Yeah. Whoever takes that USC job is going to have to be an entertainer. Yeah, and I think what's crazy to me is USC thinks, uh, I read an article somewhere the last week saying the first five calls should be to guys like uh, Ryan Day, uh, the Notre Dame coach, Brian Kelly. Uh, I I don't know who these people think they're going to go get. Dabo, Dabo's not leaving Clemson to go take USC. Uh, But I do believe there is a dark horse out there, uh, and there's two guys, NFL guys with college experience as well. One is Bill O'Brien. And you bring up Penn State. Uh, Bill O'Brien was a very successful coach in the NFL recently. The only problem he had was being the GM and the coach. So if you can remove that portion of his career, I think you can go back and look at Bill O'Brien and say, hey, this guy can can handle this job. And and keep in mind, Bill O'Brien's the one who pulled Penn State out of the Joe Pot and Sandusky uh, dumpster fire that that was. It wasn't Franklin. Bill O'Brien's the guy who got that program back to winning, and then Franklin brought it back and, and kept it going when uh, O'Brien left for the NFL. Um, the other name I would say is a guy pretty recent, and that's Joe Brady. Uh, I don't know that he's ready to take a head job like USC, but he is an offensive genius, it seems, and he's in the NFL right now for the Carolina Panthers offensive coordinator. But keep in mind, he was the guy at LSU that was calling the plays for Burrow uh, when they went undefeated and won the national championship. So that's another guy I like. To continue on the Pac-12 train, where does the Pac-12 stand in its college football playoff chances after weeks into the season? I mean, I think there's two teams competing for a spot, maybe not even now, is Oregon and UCLA. But with UCLA losing last night to Fresno State, that's probably in the trash. But... The other team I was going to say is Arizona State, but they also lost last night to BYU. So the only team left in the Pac-12 that even has a chance at making it is Oregon at this point. Yeah, I'd agree with that, other than two things. So I think UCLA still has an outside shot. And we're talking about the college football playoff, right? Yes. Uh, Oregon's obviously the 1A team. If they win out and they take care of the business they should in a fairly weak Pac-12 North this year, um, and can run the table, they obviously are getting in. Uh, but UCLA, if UCLA can pull the victory against Oregon on October 23rd down in the, Coles- in the Rose Bowl, um, that, I, that could 
basically leapfrog them right back up into the conversation. Because what we found out last night, and you just mentioned UCLA taking a, a stumble, uh, they lost to Fresno State, which after week one and Oregon played Fresno State, everybody was like, oh, look at the Ducks. They're not ready to go. Maybe Fresno State's a lot better than we realized, and they sure looked good last night against the Bruins. So now that Fresno State's back into the rankings, a, a one-loss UCLA team to a ranked Fresno State team with a big win over an Oregon team ranked in the top five, that, that could keep UCLA in the hunt. But the Pac-12's chances are diminishing each week, especially in a conference when Pac-12 teams always beat up on each other. As a prime example, Stanford and USC. Yeah, agreed again. It's such a tough road playing through the Pac-12 schedule um, just week in and week out. So anybody who can go undefeated in any of these conferences deserves to be in that playoff. Moving into the NFL, some big takeaways from week one. The first thing I want to cover is the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray are here to play. Their offensive excellence this past week Murray had four touchdowns, including a rushing touchdown, with 289 yards and one interception. DeAndre Hopkins continues to be Murray's top target, with Hopkins getting two touchdowns. Murray is just so dynamic with his running game and getting out of the pocket and still making good throws downfield. Honestly, I think that's Arizona's offense. Let Kyler scramble around, run around like a rabbit back there, and uh, make something happen. But DeAndre Hopkins is just a stud. That guy, I cannot believe Bill O'Brien traded him. Back talking about Bill O'Brien, maybe he isn't a good coach. <laughs> maybe not. But basically, this is exactly what Kyler Murray did in college, and he was pretty dang good. So now the fact that he can also do in the NFL is pretty impressive. He reminds me of a little bit of like Patrick Mahomes type, but is a little bit more versatile out of the pocket, I would say. Yeah, he is a crazy athlete. The fact to think that he was going to be a top Major League Baseball player as well, uh, I'd be shocked to see what he could do on a baseball field as fast as he is. And, and keep in mind, his speed is the difference maker. He he just looks different out there. Him and Lamar Jackson, it's like a video game, and they're just running around outside of everybody. No one can tackle them. Right. Uh, I, I, let me say one other thing about Arizona, though, while we're talking about the Cardinals. I think their defense is legit, too. I mean, first week out, Chandler Jones has five sacks. He didn't even play last year because he blew out his knee. Um, I think that could be as good as they are offensively. They're going to have to stop some people, and I think that defense might be up to the task this year. Well, they said about Chandler Jones that uh, if he keeps on pace of sacks, that he will break the sacks record halfway through the season. Plus, there's an extra game this year. That's right, 17 games. I had a lot of records fall this year, I'm sure. Yeah, I bet. The next thing I want to cover about the NFL is the Browns still hurt themselves in pressure situations, or the end of the game. Baker Mayfield was picked off by Mike Hughes in the last minute nine seconds of the game while driving down the field to win. The Chiefs came back from a 12-point deficit to win the game. And the Browns' defense left big holes up in midfield for Tyreek Hill to take advantage of, and the Chiefs forced a three-and-out but the Browns punter dropped the snap and the Chiefs regained possession at Cleveland 15. Yeah, there was a lot going on in that game. But again, people keep saying it, but the Browns are young. They're still learning how to win. They're the Cleveland Browns. It's been so long since that organization's been a winner. So these are the ways you have to go. It's the baby steps of building franchises and learning how to win as a team. But 
with that said, this Cleveland team is legit, and they will make some uh, uh, damage through the season. They, they, I believe they can make a nice run to the uh, Super Bowl, but that's a lot of pressure for Baker Mayfield, and I'm just not sold on Baker. Well, I think it's funny that the two guys who we're talking about right now are both Oklahoma quarterbacks. Yeah, that's a good point. But the thing about Maker, Baker Mayfield is that I don't think he's old enough to handle the pressure and situations like that. But the Browns will be good. Like, don't get me wrong. They're a playoff contender. and Too much talent on that team not to win. They right. have so many high draft picks. And, and again, I think the uh, new coach, Kevin Stefanski, is the right guy to lead that. He's an offensive genius. Yeah, I agree. The last thing I want to look at is Monday Night Football and the highs and lows of it. Go Raiders. <laughs> I mean, the Raiders win in miraculous fashion. 33-27 in overtime. I mean, they gave us a perfectly executed two-minute drill to tie the game 27-27 and at the end of the fourth quarter. I yep. mean, teams... 30 seconds, 36 seconds ago, Derek Carr led him down the field for that. What a drive. I mean, teams always say, we practice two-minute drill every single day. I bet in practice it's not even executed that well. That is a one in like 10 chance. Yeah, agreed. And again, being the Raiders that they are, I can't believe they actually scored the touchdown. I'm surprised they didn't throw the interception on the one-yard line. Yeah. Like in overtime. What <laughs> was that debacle? Oh, my gosh. The fact that they got the ball first in overtime, go down the field, could have won the game, got to like the five-yard line on a nice throw and catch, and they called it a touchdown, and then his knee was down, of course. And then they get a false start. And then Derek Carr throws an interception in the end zone, so the Ravens get the ball back. Uh, unbelievable. And I, I'm sitting here across from EP right now in my Raider hat, and I will tell you, being a Raider fan, only the Raiders. What is going on? I must have jumped up and down and screamed at the TV. I'm lucky I didn't throw something and break the TV uh, during that overtime. But the craziness that putting on the field goal team on second down – but we can't find the field goal kicker. Oh well, yeah, the Ravens end up going down the field. All they need is a field goal. A field goal. And Lamar Jackson ends up fumbling the football. I mean, the Raiders then get the ball back, and they go down the field. Second and nine with about three minutes left in the game. John Gruden sends out the field goal squad. The field goal kicker. Everybody but the kicker. Everyone but the kicker. And the kicker is at his net still practicing because, like, oh, yeah, because it's, it's second, second down. Because it's second and nine. Duh, I'm not going to go until the fourth or maybe third down. He sends him out there, gets a delay of game, five-yard penalty. Yeah, so let's move the kicker back five yards. That makes a lot of sense. Now it's third and four. I mean, second and 14. They get to yeah. replay second down. He sends back out Derek Carr in the offense. And Derek Carr, of course, the Ravens blitz because they think the Raiders probably aren't even ready for it. And Derek Carr backpedals, throwing it up, and they get 31-yard touchdown pass to Zay Jones. And Zay Jones hadn't even scored the whole game. Not even really targeted the whole game. Yeah, that was like, who's Zay Jones? And where did he come from? Right. Only the Raiders would win in that fashion. Also, I feel like the Ravens would only give the ball back up like that. Well, first of all, the Ravens are a real good team. So that game was just, it was entertaining as it can be. And the NFL must have loved having that happen. I mean, on national television, Monday Night Football, first week NFL, that is, that game will go down in history, yeah. I would say, in my opinion, for Monday Night Football. And let's be honest, the Raiders are 1-0. and And they got their first win in that big new arena. 
That Ooh, is sweet. Boy, that thing, that Death Star, is that what they call that thing? That is nice. Can't wait to go visit that stadium. And by the way, as the famous Oakland Raider owner used to say, just win, baby. All right. Well, I think we're coming down to the end of things, but I want to have one little fun thing with Emily. Uh, she doesn't really know about this, but I thought it'd be fun as part of this podcast to have a little mystery segment at the end of each week. So this week, we're going to call it the mystery segment. <laughs> this week, I am going to bring up, and, and so everybody knows, it's going to be something that I pick that Emily doesn't know about, and we're just going to have a little discussion. So this week, the mystery to me throughout the week was back to the USC coaching job. There were a lot of names that we threw out there. You brought up the Oklahoma quarterback. Lincoln Riley should be high on that list. But the one name that everybody continues to come back to is the Urban Meyer. What is going to happen with Urban Meyer? This NFL thing for him, I'm not sure he's going to be able to last. He had health problems in college when he won every game and lost three games in his career, and he's stressed out. So will Urban stay with the Jaguars? Or do you think he's a potential candidate for the USC job? I think a lot of things have to go wrong for the Jaguars and be in the right time. Let's say that the Jaguars continue to lose 0 and 8 mid-season. Continue to lose. Yes. <laughs> mid-season 0 and 8. Urban Meyer might start thinking about that USC job. I mean, the NFL, no control over his guys. His guys, some of them, not in the Jaguars really, but are getting paid more than him. They're they're like, you can't force me to do whatever. I'm not really playing for you. I'm here to make money. I'm not going to school necessarily. I just think that he is a control freak, and he doesn't really have control in the NFL. So going back to USC where he can control everything that he wants is better. Also, not a showboater by any chance, but he's been in front of the media and press an announcer for a while that he can be an entertainer in California if he wants. Oh, he likes the spotlight. Oh, Urban loves him some media for sure. I mean, I'm, he went and denied it in his press conference and said no. But, you know, he said he wasn't going to retire, and then he retired. So, Or when he retired, he said he wasn't going to come back to coaching, and he took an NFL job. So anything that comes out of his mouth, I don't know. I don't even know. But I think there is a chance that it could happen, but a lot of things have to go wrong for the Jaguars and be at the right time. Yeah, and again, let's be honest. If you go 0 and 10, 0 and 11, do you're you not going to want to stay. You don't do want to stay the, there. Does the owner fire you? Do you even have a choice of yeah, I want to leave? Well, he's just so used to winning all the time. I just don't even know if he can handle losing. Like, I don't even know what Urban Meyer is like on a losing team. Like, how does he act? Does he act differently? It, it seems like he does because there's a lot of stories out there already that he's already berating coaches and, you know, they've played one real game at this point. So it's going to be tough on him. And let's be honest, other great college coaches have come and gone through the NFL uh, and just it's a different beast. It is a different beast. It's a longer season. It's a full year all the way around the calendar. You're dealing so with fully grown men, men who do not care what you think yeah you have no power over them so they're going to go home to their families and move on they don't care so it's going to be a real interesting scenario to play out and uh it should be fun to watch at least watch an urban meltdown is gonna be fun. <laughs> i would pay to see urban meltdown well that's all we have today on this episode of epsn 
I'm Emily Paulson, and thanks for listening and see you next episode, Sports Geeks.